There are stories, it's been said, that can be about something other than what the story appears to be. I think that history is one of the main weapons in this aggression against Ukraine. You are in between. You are not in the present, you are not in the future. Really, it's difficult to live through this situation because you don't know what is going to happen next. When the Russian army invaded, Alina Mosilevska left everything behind and fled from her home near the Black Sea. For the moment, she's safe with her kids in Germany. As for me, I am not uh, very optimistic for future, but I believe that Ukraine will not surrender. That's Sergei Pakomenko, a political scientist at Maripol State University. He stayed until the last possible moment. Now he's in Lviv. Maripol is wrecked. His home, his campus, everything gone. Except for the stories. I think when it all ends, this war in Ukraine will be remembered as the first digital conflict of consequence in the 21st century. Yes, a digital war. A war fought with social media, network hackers, and crowdsourced battlefield intelligence. You are right that this war is different. Dr. Mazalevska is a social scientist at Black Sea State University. She's interested in how media manipulates historical identity and cultural memory. Uh, first thing that we should keep in mind that this war didn't start it on 24th of February. It was many years before that it started with the invasion of Donbass region and with the annexation of Crimea. And we have an expression that now we're living through uh, the three days war that was started by Russia that was actually beginning eight years ago. And it's a part of many centuries war between Russian uh, imperialism and uh, the attempts of Ukrainians to build their country and their uh, rebuild their national identity. And now we actually were living the period when the real aggression is also combined with the really aggressive media war, the war of two very different and opposite narratives, the war between different worldviews. And I'm not sure that only TV is guilty of what is happening in Russia. It's an apparatus, a system of not only propaganda, but maybe education, memory politics, uh, cultural politics, soft power that, it, that is being present not only in Russia, but every part of the world it impacts a lot the situation that we have now and the perception of Russian aggression within the country, in Russia, for example. If it's true history is written by the victors, then it doesn't matter what's really true when you're on the winning team. Over a hundred years ago, the Russians invented active measures, that's political propaganda and disinformation, deceptive and destabilizing media of every sort. They're good at it. And perhaps that's why Russians believe what they believe about their special military operation. I have a good example to answer this question. All the generation, even in Ukraine, depends a lot on Russian television. And even after annexation of Crimea and the invasion of Donbass region, state Russian channels were cut, were banned in Ukraine. Uh, some families used satellites to watch Russian media. And 
now even I won't say the names, even people, um, all the generation that I know, I know people that believe Russian propaganda. So my answer is yes, people can be manipulated. Even well-educated people can be manipulated. It's like language programming. When you repeat for many times the same story, when you give examples, people want to see, they start believing it. And if we suppose that the story is being repeated, recirculated, remediated for years, I think we can find people who really believe in it and who accept it as a true narrative. The truth of the situation in the port of Mariupol is self-evident, but you wouldn't know it watching Russian television news. Sergei Pakomenko was in the city when the siege began. Okay, after Russian bombings, only one school in Mariupol out of 70 has survived. There is no gas, electricity or water in the city. Nevertheless, people with children were brought together for Russia TV picture, propaganda picture. So the main storyline was the following. From now on, children will learn the truth about great patriotic war during the history lessons. It's uh, absurd. And I want to add one important point. From the very first day of the occupation, uh, Russian troops and local collaborators uh, started changing the symbolic urban space in Mariupol. Uh, they restore Soviet street names, install monuments of Soviet leaders, whereas monuments to heroes of Ukrainian history are being removed. In the fog of war... It's been said truth is the first casualty when stories do battle. And in this war, the competition for hearts and minds, using media of every sort, isn't it interesting that Vladimir Putin doesn't tweet, and Zelensky does? Are we seeing something genuinely new here? Um, it's another example of the split of the generation, because I think that Putin... It's more representative of the classic politician that uh, uses more traditional ways of communicating with the audience. And he's constantly attempting to create this image of father of the nation, very protective, very authoritarian. And in Russian society, it works well. Zelensky, I work at the university and during the elections, we talked about Zelensky and Poroshenko a lot with my students. Almost 100% were for Zelensky and against, against Poroshenko. The same thing I can say even those who couldn't vote, children, they were for Zelensky because he was constantly on TV, in social media, in Twitter, in YouTube. So it's the, the choice of future generation. I know that uh, now we have still this split because even me, I didn't vote for Zelensky because uh, he didn't have an, any consistent program. <laughs> yes. I wasn't really persuaded by his vision. He gave a lot of promises, like populists do. But now I see that he really succeeded in uniting the nation. And he has a now even bigger support that he had during the elections. More than 90% of people in Ukraine supporting Zelensky. And he's uh, now really one of the key figures that are representing Ukraine in the fight for the freedom.
I was in Moscow in 2017. I was invited to give a talk at a university. And while I was in the city, I saw an impressive investment in public art that glorifies Soviet scientific achievements, the Russian space program, first man in orbit, Sputnik, and the Russian scientists I spoke with were extremely proud and supportive of maintaining the monumental public art. One woman told me, as a young person, she was inspired to be a scientist because of what she saw on the streets of Moscow. I, I think that uh, history is one of the main weapons in this aggression against Ukraine. Ukraine and Russia have uh, absolutely different um, tradition of public art. We don't have such an imperial understanding of art. We don't have such tradition, pompous tradition and monumental imperial traditions as in Russia. Now, memes, internet memes play a determinant role for Ukrainians. For instance, famous phrase, I don't know, do you know this? Russian worship, go fuck yourself. And other ironic internet pictures. This is something that boosts confidence and morale. Sculptures and installations have already appeared. For example, in Kyiv, installation that Putin's had with a gun in his mouth. But I, I repeat, I don't think that it will be too pompous and monumental as in Russia. It, it will be more ironic. It will be more humanities, I think. Ukraine's President Zelensky is a superb actor. Now, I don't say that as a negative. Through his art of performance, he has led the Ukrainian people against all odds to thwart Russia's military and the Kremlin. I wonder if the reconstruction of Ukraine will depend on his example of inspired leadership. The idea being to attract Ukrainian scientists and engineers who have been out of the country to come home and make a new and improved Ukraine. Alina Mazalevska. For me, it's very difficult to talk about the future of Ukraine. We are living in the state of war, and maybe the, 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 the only objective that we see in front of us is uh, the, the day of our victory, when we can reunite with our families, come back home, and those who are uh, in the battlefield, uh, they can start living a peaceful life. But I see even now that our society is transforming, a lot of new connections created. For example, in civil society, we, we have a lot of volunteers who work. A lot, we have a lot of digital projects that are being developed. We are raising funds for those who are in need. We create new connections uh, within the cities. Those who, are, who need medicines, they just can send a message in WhatsApp and then volunteers can get. So the, the society will be more mature, it's for sure. And uh, I think that it's one of the best things that can happen to Ukrainian society, these horizontal connections that are created now. And then uh, I hope that these connections will function and will be lasting after the victory. As for me, and not only me, 
some experts have uh, a lot of questions for President Zelensky. For example, uh, why was the passage from Crimea cleared from mines on the eve of the war? This allowed Russians to occupy the entire south of Ukraine, uh, and uh, this allowed Russians to lay siege to Mariupol. I understand that this unpleasant and comfortable question, I don't want to ask it now. It will uh, help uh, to Russian propaganda, but uh, I have these questions and not only me. Uh, as so stories, stories of successful, there should be such stories. And yes, technology is a great advantage now. So digitalization Uh, really significant for the success of Ukrainian army. And even, for example, if your house is been damaged, you can apply in the application for the funds from the government, or you can send money for the funds that help army or for the funds who help refugees. So it's now the digital aspect. And when the war will end, we will try to bring our forces together to rebuild the country. Ukraine has held out, has not surrendered to the second strongest army in the world, Russian army. Ukraine has proved its identity. Ukraine is known and respected around the world. And the whole world is supporting Ukraine uh, to become a prosperous country. But this is a future discussion, of course. Uh, for time being, the situation is complicated. It's for future. Sergei Pakamanko, I'll leave the last word to you about what happens the day after hostilities cease. Oh, <laughs> I think that Ukraine has a lot of uh, prosperous perspective for development in IT technology and new social media. And uh, when uh, Putin falls, I think it's a, a great sign for all dictators, regimes, and uh, new technologies, uh, social medias, uh, and um, digital technologies are produced by Western world, and uh, I believe in Western world and Western democracy. I think Putin uses all the methods of propaganda and uh, Unfortunately, it works, but for new generation, it doesn't work. I believe in new generation in Russia. Sometimes I think they uh, will manage to change Russians' way in the future. Sergei Pakamanko is an internally displaced person. He's in Lviv. And Alina Mazolevska spoke to me from Berlin. Her city, Mykolaiv, as of this podcast, is still being shelled by the Russians. Research in Ukraine. Where has it gone? The series is made possible by Genome Canada. Mike Spear is the producer. Until the next time, I'm Don Hill. <laughs>